Amen, amen. Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, get a Bible on your lap to Genesis chapter 12, Genesis 12. And uh, as you turn there, I just want to ask a, a bit of an odd question. Has there ever been a time in your life you jumped in a car, you were leaving one place, but you weren't quite sure where you were going to end up? And so uh, uh, think of maybe any time that a road trip, and you're like, we're just going, but we don't know where we're going. We don't know the destination we're going to. Um, you might be able to think of one or two instances of that, but I think all of us know anytime you're leaving someplace, we usually have a pretty good idea of where the destination is, not only for car trips, but also just for life in general. We typically like um, the comfortability of knowing or thinking we know what's going to happen next. Uh, we typically don't put a for sale sign in the front yard unless we have somewhat of an idea of maybe where we're moving. We, we don't uh, typically like to jump from a job until we have an idea of where we're going. I, I want us to just recognize how much we make decisions in life only when we feel like we have a good idea of where there is before we leave where here is. And, and as we just kind of wrestle with the comfort of, of thinking we know what's out there, or what the outcome's going to be, or the destination's going to be, I, I want us to acknowledge that because it's what makes today in our study of Genesis 12 such a fantastic model of faith to us. Um, we take a shift in our series today into part two of our study in the book of Genesis, and we're calling part two the promise. And basically, uh, in Genesis chapter 12, we're introduced to a man named Abram, and we're going to follow the life of this man for the next 12 chapters in the book of Genesis. And um, Abram, or if you have faith background, you know his name will be changed to Abraham, uh, is often called the father of the faith. And, and um, I want to I just show us from the scriptures, how have we gotten to Abraham's life? In Genesis chapter 11, we studied a group of people uh, that we typically call it Babel or the Tower of Babel, a group of people who had set out to build a city and a tower. They built a city so that they wouldn't have to be scattered. They built a tower to make a name for themselves. And the Lord looked down on that and said, no. That's not how we're going to do this. And the Lord confuses their language and the Lord scatters the people across the face of the globe. In Genesis chapter 11, verse 10, we come to another genealogy. Um, if your Bible has titles over it, it'll say Shem's descendants. And um, this genealogy now follows us from the Babel or takes us from the Babel account all the way down to this man in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans, a man by the name of Terah. And now, uh, an important thing to note as we come to the genealogies in Genesis, that genealogy right there in Genesis 11, it might be like half a page worth of type. Understand something, that's hundreds of years worth of history. And so we've just moved from Babel now to uh, uh, what we know as kind of a random guy in a place called Ur of the Chaldeans, but it's not random because the Lord is introducing us to who will become the father of the faith. But I want to read this at the end of chapter 11 uh, to prepare us for chapter 12. Verse 27, Genesis 11. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took two wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Ish. 
Now, Sarah was barren. She had no child. I mean, uh, Genesis 11 verse 30 is a very, very short verse, but that is a very, very important thing for us to know. It says, Sarai was barren. She had no child. That's going to come to play here in a big way over this next part of the book of Genesis. Verse 31. Terah, uh, Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran his grandson and Sarai his daughter-in-law his son Abram's wife and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to, into the land of Canaan but when they came to Haran they settled there and so uh, just kind of get getting our bearings here of the Middle East uh, Ur you'll see to the right or to the east of your screen it says that they set out to settle in the land of Canaan uh, they follow the fertile crescent up and they never make their way down. They stop in a, a place called Haran. And now this sets the scene for chapter 12. And chapter 12 is a bold and audacious act of literally blind faith. As we're introduced to Abram, we're introduced to him through God making a, 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 very big, uh, a very big request of him to step out on faith and trust the Lord. And we're going to see Abram deliver. Now, today's message is a message about faith. We are to be faith people. As followers of Jesus, we are people of faith. And now, I know we often use that expression in some general sense, but when you really break, that, break down what it means to be a faith person, it means that we are people who live by, live by faith. And all that we do, we live by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. A couple of verses later in, in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And so we are to be faith people. We are invited by God to a life of faith. But here's the thing I know about you, and here's the thing you know about me. We value predictability. Living by faith can be very, very hard. We value predictability. We like certainty or what we think is certainty. Um, we like having a good idea of the final outcome or a final destination. You with me? Am I right? And so um, God seems to not be as interested in giving us all of those details as much as we would like him to. God simply is always inviting us to just take the next step of faith. And so in Genesis chapter 12, the prayer and the hope today is that this is going to equip us in a greater way to live lives of, lives of faith, life by faith. And here's kind of the big idea of today's message, and I hope it's encouraging to us. Walking by faith happens one step of faith at a time. Isn't that good news? Like as we set out today, go, man, I want to live a bold and audacious life of faith. How does that happen? It happens one step of faith at a time. And as we turn our attention to Genesis chapter 12, we see a bold act of blind faith on the part of Abram. Genesis 12 verse 1 says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house 
to, uh, to, the, uh, to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. As we begin chapter 12, here's what we need to know. We're going to find four must-knows to walk by faith. Four must-know things that we need to be equipped with in order to live a life of walking by faith. And right away in the first couple, couple, cha- or couple verses, we get this first must-know. And I'm going to call this first must-know of a life of faith this. It means stepping away from the known and into the unknown. Living a life by faith means stepping away from the known and into the unknown. Where am I getting to that? Look back at what it said in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go, go from someplace, go from your country, your kindred, and your father's house. The Lord says, Abram, I want you to leave the place you know. I want you to leave the people you know. I even want you to leave, in a sense, your nuclear family. I want you to go from what you know, where you know, who you know. And and then he tells him where he wants him to go. So go from these places, the who, what, and where you know. And then he says this, and go to the land that I will what? That I will show you. So leave who you know, leave where you know, leave what you know, and I want you to go to a land that I will show you. Now, here's one of the great curses of being familiar with the Bible. One of the great curses of being familiar with the Bible is when we come to a guy like Abraham or David or Noah, some of these people that are relatively well-known Bible characters, we can lose sight of the fact that they were just human. And we can glorify them through the years and go like, of course Abraham's going to do that. He's Abraham. But I, I want you to picture this. I want you to imagine you're at your dining room table tonight and the Lord clear as can be says, all right, Brock, I want you to leave. I want you to look around at your house. Look at, look at this town that you live in. Look at all of the community, friendships, family that you've built. I want you to get up and I want you to leave. All right, Lord, I want to be obedient. I've said, I just want to follow you, whatever you ask of me, wherever you ask. Um, One thing, where am I going? And the Lord says, I'll show you. Grab a bag, get up, walk south. We like more details than that, right? And so what you see here is a bold act of blind faith in which Abram is going to leave his people, uh, leave his place, leave his family, and go to the place that God will show him. It's what makes the first three words of verse 4 so powerful. So Abram what? He went. So Abram went. As the Lord had told him and Lot went with him, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. So Abram went. Powerful, powerful three words of 
Simple, blind obedience. And when I say blind, I mean blind. He did not know where he was going. He just simply started walking south out of obedience. And so, again, bearings on the map from Haran in the north down into the area that would become the promised land. The Bible mentions he stops in this place called Shechem. And, the, and Abram is simply obedient. Now, I want to know, how, how is Abram able to do this? How is he able to leave who he knows, where he knows, what he knows, and just simply follow the Lord by faith? Hebrews chapter 11 is a great commentary for us to understand this. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went, and I love this next part. He went, not knowing where he was going. I mean, that's powerful. Uh, If you remember uh, in this room, there's this ancient feeling that we used to feel and we don't feel it anymore. It's when you were in a city and you didn't know where you were going and you didn't know how to get to where you were going. It's called being lost. You remember that feeling, right? And in the day of smartphone, we hardly ever feel lost anymore, but we used to feel lost and we hate the feeling of being lost, right? And we got to acknowledge that from the get-go, Abram set out from a place he had always known, not knowing where he was going. It's a powerful, powerful act of faith. And it brings us back to this first must-know of living by faith. Sometimes God will simply call us away from the known and into the unknown. And it's a scary thing, and it's an exhilarating thing, but sometimes God calls us to live by faith away from the known and into the unknown. And so I just want to ask you, Where might God be calling you in your life away from what you've always known and into the unknown? You know, for some of us, that could mean a physical move. For some of us, it could mean a move across oceans. Many more of us, it just simply might mean um, away from the known and comfort uh, of our own house and into the unknown of crossing the street and beginning to develop relationships with uh, other people who don't know the Lord. For many more of us, it's probably more of a mind shift and a heart shift that beckons and calls us away from the known and the comfortable and into the unknown of just simply obeying the Lord. Where is God calling you in your life away from the known and into the unknown to follow and obey Him by faith? And that's always a scary step, but it's an exhilarating step. And if we're going to be people who live by faith, we have to be willing to step out into the unknown like we see Abram here. Now, it's important to recognize, though, as Abram is leaving, he is believing. The only way Abram is able to leave is because of what he believes. And, and I, I want to look back and go, what, is, what do we see here that Abram would be clinging to that allows him to, pro, that propels him forward by faith to go south? And it leads me to the second must know of living by faith. Uh, the second must know to live by faith is this. It means taking God at his word before you see it realized with your eyes. Why do I say that? Um, I want to read these nine verses again. And as I read them, I want you to count the number of times we find God say, I will. God is going to make a prom- promises. I want you to count the number of times God says, I will. Okay? Uh, Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. 
and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless uh, those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran, and Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh, at the time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. How many times do we find the Lord say, I will? Six. Six times the Lord says, I will. I will. I will. Here are the promises I'm laying before you. Abram, I, I want you to see these promises. Here are God's promises to Abram. And as we unpack these, I want you to understand how much Abram would have had to take these purely by faith. How crazy these things would have been to Abram to hear. The first thing God says, I'll make of you a great nation. Now, remember, what did the end of Genesis 11 tell us? Abram and Sarai, how many kids do they have? Zero. And it told us Sarai is barren. And so you have this promise here of God saying, I'm going to make you into a great nation. In order to become a nation, you need people. And the, you know, Abram had to have heard that and go, Lord, like if we could just start with one child, like I'll be good with that. But the Lord says, I will make you a great nation. The second thing, I will make your name great. How in the world is this, is this couple, like, how's their name going to be great? I mean, it's easy for us with some Bible knowledge to understand that this family is truly going to grow into a nation and their name will be great. But we have to recognize that this time when God gives this promise, it is a man and a wife with his nephew and his wife walking south. That's where they're at. And the Lord says, I'll make your name great. The third thing the Lord promises, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who dishonor you. It's a promise of favor and a promise of protection. The fourth promise, I will bless the families of the earth through you. Can you imagine Abram trying to get his mind around how in the world this will happen? That all the peoples, all the nations, all the families of the earth will be blessed through him, and they will, because from Abram will come a descendant, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, in whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Every tribe and every tongue and every nation will come from the line of Abraham. And this fifth thing he says is this, I will give you this land. It says to your offspring, you are going to possess this land here. And Abram is taking God simply at his word before he can see any of this with his eyes. And y'all listen, if we're going to live lives of faith, we have to be able to take God at his word long before we ever see it realized with our eyes. As people of the word, we have to be in this book daily 
believing that God is who he says he is, believing that God will do what he says he will do, even in the midst of a culture and times around us where it's like, man, I don't see this with my eyes right now. When we look at the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, we have to believe the promise that he will be with us always, even to the very end of the age. Uh, We have to believe as faith people that the Lord has waiting for us an assured inheritance held for us in heaven who are in Christ Jesus. And that that then has to dictate the way we go about living out the years on earth we have here. We have to be able to take God at his word long before we realize it with our eyes. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the certainty of things not yet, not yet seen. And the only way we'll be people who live by faith is if we're actually able to take God at his word. Now, we've seen God call Abram to like, I mean, a scary out into the unknown call. We see Abram clinging to the promises of God to actually obey that call. The hardest part should be behind him, right? The hardest part should always just be those first steps of faith. To actually leave the city, to actually leave the loved ones. But like now that he's out on his faith journey, this should be exhilarating and exciting. And the Lord should lay out the red carpet of faith and it should all go smooth, right? Verse 10. Now there was a famine in the land. What? Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. I got to be honest with you, I'm kind of frustrated, in all seriousness. Like when I read that verse, I get a bit frustrated. I, I read that and I go, I don't get it. You call him away from a place, Lord, Lord, you call him away from a place, of the people he knows, the family he knows, the place he knows. He obeys you. He walks down into what we know will be the promised land. You even give him a glimpse of that promised land with his own eyes. You tell him to your offspring, I will get this. He's tasting it. He's seeing it. And now the very next verse, there's a famine in the land. And he has to leave it and go farther south to flee for some food down in Egypt. I don't get it. This doesn't seem right. It seems wrong. Why? Why are there those famine-type seasons in living out lives of faith? We're going to talk about that, but the third must-know of living by faith is this. It means there will be faith-building famines along the way. I mean, I'm not going to stand up here as your pastor and say, yeah, take the leap of faith, jump out, trust the Lord. Everything always is awesome and rosy and it's great. No, no, no. At some point as we follow the Lord by faith into whatever that might mean for us, we're going to get smacked in the face with some hardships, some trials, some faith-building famines along the way. Why? Why can't we just simply obey and everything then goes great? Here's why. Because the kindest thing God could ever do is increase and keep increasing our faith muscle to lean more on him and learn more of who he is. To say it like this, every faith-building famine is an opportunity to learn the Father more 
lean on the Father more and love the Father more. We see throughout Scripture the place of Egypt becomes a refuge for God's people. Abram flees there from the perils of a famine. As we come towards the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph will be led there and then will lead God's people in to preserve the line before they come back to the promised land. Jesus, after he is born, Mary and Joseph flee to Egypt with him for protection. The Lord is using the place of Egypt as a, a, a place of protection for his people. The Lord is at work in the midst of this, but we don't like the famines that lead, to have to, that, that lead us to have to uh, turn to the Lord for complete refuge. And yet in faith-building famine-type season, we have an opportunity to learn more of who God is, to lean more on who he is, and to fall more in love with him. I want to share you just a, a, a real-life example of this. It, uh, this is Charles and Esther Mooley. If you've been around our church any number of years, I've mentioned them before. Uh, but uh, just a quick story on Charles. Charles was a street kid. I grew up without his mom and dad in Kenya, uh, living off the streets. Uh, he grew to be one of the richest men in the country of Kenya. Uh, there came a season in his life where the Lord really began to stir in his heart. And uh, kind of the, the, the pinnacle of that season, he was driving home one day, and he just kept driving. And uh, he was in his Mercedes driving down the roads of Kenya. He pulled off on a little pull-off area, and for hours he, he talked with the Lord and wept in his car for hours until finally he came to a point where he said, yes, Lord, I will do it. And from that point, he turned his car back on and he drove home. Uh, he began to, to liquidate, to sell almost all of the fortune that he had amassed, all of his you know, kingdom that he had built in Kenya. And he began to go to the streets of Nairobi and the surrounding areas and to pull street kids off the streets and bring him into his family. So I want you to see a picture of uh, Charles and Esther's family now. Uh, that's their family. That's not an orphanage. It's, it, it's their family. They are mom and dad. They go to the streets and pull kids off the streets and adopt them as mulis. Um, shortly after they began this journey, um, they began to mass dozens of kids and then a couple hundred kids. Um, a famine swept across the land of Kenya. And they're watching their bank account go down. They're watching their food supply go down while they're watching the number of kids increase. They don't know how, you know, they're looking at the source of clean water they have, and they're like, Lord, you've told us to bring in all of these kids, and we don't have food or water for them. And so famine-type seasons are an opportunity to learn, lean on, and love the Lord more. Charles is crying and praying on his bed one night in light of the famine going on, and he grabs Esther, and he says, come on. And they walk out, and he says, the Lord says, we will find water right here. And Esther says, you're crazy. Let's go to bed. And so back to bed they go. The next day they start digging, no water. The next day digging, no water. For weeks they dug and the family's beginning to think they're crazy until one day, water. Jacob's well is still at Muli Children's family to this day. I saw it with my own eyes, you know, during a summer of college. Why do I share that? Because famine-type seasons are simply an opportunity for our Father to show up and do what our Father does.
And if we, if we always just wanted to bypass the famines, we would miss out on things like that. Don't despise the famine seasons. Man, you're going to step out on faith at times, and you're going to be like, I think this is what the Lord's saying to do, and, and you're going to do it. And it's going to feel like life is just tail spinning at times. And you're going to be like, Lord, what is going on? And you're going to get to see your father show up and do what your father does. It leads to this last must know of a life by faith. And in this last must know, we, we have to confront the greatest threat to living by faith. And the greatest threat to living by faith um, is fear. Fear is a faith preventer. Fear is a faith killer. The fourth must know of a life by faith of this. It means learning to not succumb to the fear. Learning to not succumb to the fear. How do we see Abram succumb to fear? Look at how Genesis 12 ends. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, so picture that, right? They're on the border of Egypt. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me. What does he say? Then they will what? Then they will what? Then they will kill me. I just want you to take note of that. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had had. I want you to acknowledge what's happened. In their uh, sojourning down to Egypt, they come to the border, and Abram, filled with fear, begins to um, plan and scheme. And he says, here's the deal. Sarah, you're beautiful. They're going to see you. They're going to want to take you. They're going to kill me in the process. So here's what we're going to do. The planning and the scheming and the sinning here of no longer just trusting the Lord by faith, but letting fear grip you. And he says, we're going to say you're my sister. And <clears throat> like my heart breaks for Sarai in the midst of this. Who as they come into Egypt, it's exactly as Abram says. They see that she's beautiful. They don't believe she's married. She's taken into Pharaoh's house, like the position she's put in because of the sin of her husband. But I want you to acknowledge, you're like, well, well but Abram was right. They did take her. But what could have happened if he simply would have said, this is my wife? How the Lord could have intervened and protected him on his behalf. And yet he doubting and fear-filled begins to scheme and plan instead of just in faith trusting the Lord. And this is what fear does. On, in every great faith-filled endeavor for the Lord, we will hit a fear point. And when we hit that fear point, we will either begin to scheme and plan and no longer trust the Lord and choose sin in our own way, we will retreat and run back, or we can press through in faith for what God has ahead. 
I liken that fear point in every faith-filled and journey to, if, if you're like me and you don't love heights, to climbing a ladder. I don't love heights. And so there always comes a rung on that ladder where I just pause for a second. And I, I have three options before me. I can stay right there and just be paralyzed by fear. I can retreat back downward, which is way more comfortable. Are you with me? Or we can press upward in faith. Every faith-filled endeavor hits a fear point. And we have to be equipped to know how we press past that fear point. So here's what I'll call the ABCs to press past fear. ABCs to press past fear and live uh, by faith. Uh, The first is this, A, acknowledge. Acknowledge most fears are conjured up in the mind, right? Abram says, oh, here's what's going to happen. They're going to see you. They're going to say you're beautiful. They're going to kill me. God never said that. No one has ever told him that. That is, the, plan, that is the, 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 the scene he played out in his mind. And how often do we do this? Where we just start going down the rabbit trail of fear and we're like, and then this is going to happen and then this can happen and then, and then we're going to die, right? And the Lord's like, what are you talking about? Fear so often is just simply conjured up in the mind. It's like when you're standing on that rung of the ladder and you finally do take the next step up and you're like, I'm still okay. We're all okay here. We have to acknowledge most fears are conjured up in the mind. B, we have to backtrack through God's faithfulness to this point. This is huge, y'all. As we live by faith, we're going to come to the points where we're like, I don't know if I can go anymore. This is scary. This is hard. I don't know about this. We have to look back and say, the Lord was faithful at that mile marker. The Lord was faithful at that mile marker. The Lord was faithful at that mile marker. And the Lord's going to be faithful right here. And the Lord's going to be faithful as we go forward. You have to backtrack and look at how God has been faithful up to that point. And then the C, continue forward to reveal the irrationality of the fear. You move forward. You move forward in faith. How does this reveal the irrationality of the fear? Last week, we had a playground with our kids and uh, the, the big play, you know, there's usually like the little kid player and then there's the big kid player. And so the, our five-year-old takes off and there's like this r- kind of rock mountain that comes down the side of the place and he begins to climb up the rock mountain. And then he hit a point on it where he looked down and he just was paralyzed and he hit his stomach and he's just laying there holding on. And so I came up that little rock mountain and I'm, on, I'm holding my hands on either side of him. I'm like, buddy, get up. This, the, nothing's going to happen. I got you on both sides. Just get up and walk onto the place set. And he won't do it. He's gripped by fear. And so literally he's like inching on his belly all the way over to the place set. And then the coolest thing happened. His feet hit the place set. He stood up, he turned around and he smiled. And I knew what he was thinking. He was thinking, why was I so scared of that? When we move forward in faith, it reveals to us the irrationality of the fear that was back there. We're like, why were we so scared of that? The Lord has proven himself faithful again. So you continue forward to reveal the irrationality of the fear. We don't let fear win. We don't let it win where we start scheming and planning and sinning in order to move forward. We don't let it win where we retreat. We move forward in faith because walking by faith happens one step of faith at a time. And so this week, my question for you is, what is the step of faith that God is calling you to take? What is the step of faith that God is calling you to take? 
We are faith people. It means we're to live by faith. And faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the certainty of things not yet seen. You're not able to maybe cross every T or dot every I of what you think God is calling you to, but how are you going to step forward in faith? Uh, The destination is not as clear as you wish God would make it. How are you going to step forward in faith? The outcome isn't as certain as you would like it to be. How are you going to step forward in faith? One of the most freeing things I ever heard, uh, a pastor I like to listen to, they were making a huge life transition, a big life transition. And, And he's like, people keep coming up to me and they're like, man, how do you know this is right? How do you know this is what God is calling you? Are you 100% sure? And he's like, no, I'm not 100% sure. I'm like 70. And that was so freeing for me to go, we're 70% sure this is what God is calling us forward in. And we're going to take the step. And so how are you going to take the step of faith this week? And I want to encourage you Um, we're going to have a time of communion here, and I want to transition us to prepare for this time. If you need the elements on the table by the doors, you can get up and grab some of the elements as I prepare us for this. But I want to tie this into the communion reality. As faith people, we are people who have faith in someone, faith in Jesus Christ. And so the heart of today's message isn't simply like to be a pep talk to live a great life of faith. The heart of today's message stems back to the first chorus we sang when we walked in this room. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim. When we can turn our eyes on Jesus and when we look and see he is one who left the perfect splendor of heaven and came into a broken world and he lived a perfect life in the midst of this brokenness. And then he went to a cross and he poured out his blood for us sinful, broken people. And then he was buried in a tomb. And then he rose victorious over, the t- over sin and death. And then he tells us that if we by faith believe in him, he'll give us his very spirit as a helper and a counselor inside of us who will make us, who will embolden us to live a life by faith. This is what is offered to us in Christ. And this is why as his church, we set aside regular time to remember because of his blood and because of his sacrifice, we now are invited into a life of faith. And for some of us in the room, we need to enter into the life of faith for the very first time. That if there's never been a time in your life you have believed on Jesus to save you from your sin, the Bible tells you that if you call on the name of the Lord today, he will save you. And some of us in this very room right now need to do this, but others of us need to understand that for all of us who have called on Jesus, watch out, because he calls us to a life of audacious and bold faith in following him. And if he went to a cross on our behalf and gave up his life, he calls us to give all of our life in following him. Amen? And so I want to just prepare us to remember his sacrifice on the cross right now. The Bible tells us some things. We're not to partake of communion in an unworthy way, but we're to search our heart. We're to examine ourselves. And so let's let the Lord do some work in our hearts right now with a few moments of quiet as we confess or repent or let him convict in any way he needs to as we turn our eyes on remembering his sacrifice on the cross. Let's take some quiet moments now and then I'll lead us through the taking